Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm Ryan Recker. It's a Thursday show, and I'm always amazed with the variety of great guests that will join us. And this one's a little bit different because it's almost like we're talking into the future. Joining us is a international economist for the World Bank and author of a book called uh, Global Governance, Dr. Augusto Lopez Claros. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Uh, thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be with you today. From what I understand, you are live in Spain right now, so it's like you're in the future to us. Uh, yes, actually, it's Friday morning here. It's around uh, 5.07 in the morning, but, uh, er but I'm looking early. forward to this conversation. Well, this is great, and it's the closest I'll ever get to speaking to a time traveler, so thank you for that. Um, and, I, you know, it's interesting, the idea of global governance uh, global institutions working together. There are these different governing bodies that exist, like the United Nations, the World Health Organization, things like that. In your book, I'm kind of curious the, uh, what the groundwork is. What are the topics that you bring up in the, um, uh, in the idea of working more together in a global sense? You know, the, the, I guess the basic idea is that <clears throat> over the last, uh, let's say, 75 years, since the United Nations was created, um, we have become more interdependent. The kinds of problems that we're facing today, uh, whether it be climate change, uh, nuclear proliferation, income inequality, uh, extreme poverty, all of these problems basically are global in nature. And in order to find solutions to them, we need to work across borders. We need to talk, we need to, talk to each other across all 193 members of the United Nations. You know, look at climate change, for instance. Um, this is the, the, the perfect example of a problem 
that will not be solved unless nations come together and work some kind of understanding as to how to go about, you know, reducing emissions and uh, setting the planet on a more sustainable path. Mm -hmm. When I think about, we could use that as an example because this might work because it might just be an American way to look at it. And that's my perspective. But a lot of ways we look at some of these uh, governing bodies and it gets politicized very quickly. So we'll say, um, well, it's not enforced evenly, or we can look at the actors that are involved, and we may think there might be something there that is not in our best interest. So how do you get past those things if you start to have these discussions with other countries to get everyone on board? You know, um, you, are, you are correct in pointing out that some of these organizations are certainly not perfect. Uh, the United Nations is a very good example. Um, the United Nations came into being in 1945. Uh, actually, it was an initiative of Franklin Roosevelt, the American president, who, together with Winston Churchill, the prime minister of, of the United Kingdom, brought together a group of 21 countries, which at that time were engaged in the war against Nazi Germany. And they said, look, uh, after this war, which we are going to win, we need to set up an organization that will establish a firm basis for peace and security. And so the United Nations came into being in 1945. But it was not a perfect organization. The major powers kept for themselves the veto power in the Security Council, which essentially means they exempted themselves you know, from the rules and the principles of, of the UN. And so over time, what has happened is that we have... Uh, sort of become more interdependent. The nature of the problems that we face has globalized. And we are having to operate through these imperfect institutions that have, you know, sort of many, many limitations. Let me give you another example. The UN Charter, which is the founding document of the United Nations, it's like the Constitution, you know, it establishes the principle of collective security. That is that you know, we are going to set up a basis whereby the United Nations is going to intervene to prevent uh, 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 genocide, to, to go after uh, despots who abuse their power and violate human rights and so on. But, but it was never given the instrumentality. It was never given the means to actually achieve this. And for that reason, over the last 20, 30 years, you see so many examples of, of calamities, uh, Syria today, uh, Rwanda in the 1990s, uh, Yugoslavia in the 1990s, and so on, where basically the United Nations was impotent to be able to intervene and prevent these, these horrible calamities and, and abuses from taking place. And so that is where we are today. You know, in 2020, we commemorated the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. And I think what we need to do is to ask ourselves, what are the kinds of reforms that we need to do to these bodies in order to empower them to find solutions to these very intractable problems that we face today? I think that that is absolutely essential. The alternative to that is to do nothing, and then we will be overwhelmed by crisis in coming years. I think COVID-19 is a very good example of the kind of crisis that come our way. Scientists are already saying climate change in coming years is going to bring other challenges for us. So yeah. this, to me, highlights the urgency of doing something about uh, reforming these organizations. Yeah, 
And the interesting thing is that when you have different elections here in the Trump administration versus a Biden administration, the priorities are separate. And I, I look back at President Trump and the way that he looked at some of these governing bodies. And, you know, he'll he'll raise a flag. There's some human rights violations going on and you're putting them in control of separate councils as the U.N. And, you know, what's going on with those that show sympathy for things that are going on here and why are we funding this? And the, the question was brought up a lot of times the way that these bodies operated in his uh, idea was, OK, we need to either address this or we're not going to participate in it. Now, it's the opposite. I think that when President Biden got into office, he immediately wanted to get back into the Paris Accord Agreement and normalize relations with uh, with the World Health Organization. I'm sure the United Nations will be right around the corner when things like that go. So when you have different ebbs and flows and the temperature and the way that governing bodies handle things. And we can look at the United States mostly because we're most familiar with it. How how do you set a baseline of how we should handle these things? So we're not always going in and out in, uh, you know, disagreement of way these bodies are handling problems. I think that it is much better to be inside working to reform these organizations by using um, you know, the influence and the power of, of the United States, rather than to be outside as, an, as, a, as a bystander and then basically seeing these organizations being taken over by China or by other, by other countries and then turning them into instruments to work for their own national interests, right? Um, the United States in the last 75 years, especially, well, actually, no, let's say the last 100 years, because before the United Nations, we had the League of Nations in, mm-hmm. at the end of World War I. The United States has always played a very important, prominent role in shaping up the kind of global institutional framework that we have in place, because they thought that, number one, that would be good for the world. But most importantly, it would also be good for the interest of the United States. The United States would benefit from a world that was peaceful, from a world that was prosperous, from a world that would operate on the basis of the rule of law, from a world in which despots and tyrants would be kept in check because there would be rules that would constrain their behavior. And so um, I think that throughout the last 70 years, you know, consecutive administrations, whether Democrat or Republican, have understood very well that engagement with the rest of the world is in the best interest of the United States. Otherwise, others will replace it, others will take over, and then we are going to live in a world that will not be rule of law based. It will be run by despots, it will be run by tyrants, and American interests are going to be very much adversely affected by that. Very good. So this book is actually coming out on February 27th, where people can look it up now, Global Governance. And if they wanted to find a copy of this or maybe a website to uh, learn a little bit more about it, where can they go? Okay, I'm going to give you good news there. Um, The book is available for sale in Amazon, for sure. And it's a bit expensive. We did not set the price. It was set by the publisher. However, Mm -hmm. if you go to the website of globalgovernanceforum.org, you can download a free copy of the book. The entire manuscript is there. Globalgovernanceforum.org. Dr. Augusto Lopez Cleros, do you mind holding on after the break? We can keep talking about this. Yes, of course. With pleasure. 
This is great. So we're going to spend the hour. And if you guys have any questions, you may be listening right now. Give me a text message because I can read those while we're doing the interview. And I would I'd be more than happy to uh, bring up anything you may have, because, of course, this is something that we do talk about on the show. We'll be right back with Dr. Lopez Claros coming up on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Welcome back. Joining us is a international economist for the World Bank and also author of Global Governance, which you can find online in a couple of different places. And I'm, I know that a lot of people's ears perked up when they found there's a website they can go to to check it out now if they wanted to go. What was that website again, Dr. Lopez Claros? Globalgovernanceforum.org. The manuscript is already there and you can download it free of charge. Globalgovernanceforum.org. Great. Now, I wanted to uh, bring up a couple of other things that come to mind. And when you start to talk about uh, like a governing body that looks over multiple nations, people have a concern because they feel there's going to be an opportunity where you have to put your best interest aside. You have to do what the the greater good is. And then people wonder, you know, uh, why wouldn't we do what's in our best interest? Sometimes people make the argument that the best interest, even though it may not look like it, but the greater good is the best interest. Can you kind of expand on the situation that some countries are in, like the United States, when they're confronted with an issue that they may have to put themselves in the back seat and people get upset about that? Yeah, you know that there is a very important principle. Um, it, it's an awkward word. It's called subsidiarity. Um, but it is already being applied at the political level in many different parts of the world, which basically says the following, that um, you give the, the jurisdiction for particular uh, levels of governance to the, to the smallest unit which is actually able to carry those, those, uh, those responsibilities. So, for instance, let's look at the United States. In the United States, um, um, the, the educational system is largely a state responsibility, right? Um, yes, the federal government is involved in some capacity. There is a, a, a secretary of education. But by and large, the, the implementation and the functioning of the educational system is actually carried at the level of the state, whether it be Missouri, Texas, California, and so on. However, when it comes to national defense, uh, the Constitution of the United States gave uh, the federal government the monopoly on the use of force, right? In other words, Texas may not declare war on California. Or, uh, uh, that, uh, that power was taken away from the states uh, through, the, through the U.S. Constitution, and it is given exclusively to the federal government. Uh, printing money and issuing uh, 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 debt is likewise a responsibility, by and large, of the of the federal government. Now, um, the the European Union, for instance, is already operating on the basis of that principle. So, when it comes to education, it's largely left to Spain, to Italy, to Germany, to France. However, when it comes to environmental regulation, uh, because this is a problem that goes across national borders where you need to have policies that involve coordination across states, environmental legislation is done by the European Parliament, right? And so for me, your question addresses a very vital vital uh, and, and important issue, which is basically that you want to have engagement and cooperation on those issues where it makes sense to have engagement and cooperation. 
um, management of COVID-19? Yes, yes. You need to you need to be engaged with other nations. This is a pandemic. It knows no borders. The virus spreads, uh, you know, without any limitations, without recognizing the boundaries between France and Germany or the United States and Canada. So you need to collaborate with other partners uh, to confront this crisis on a on a uh, on a on a cooperative basis, right? And so, essentially, the answer to your question is: you have to use your judgment. You have to pick and choose. You have to say, on these issues, I will be fully engaged with my international partners. On these other issues. Uh, we will do it on our own because this is something that can be safely uh, resolved within the boundaries of the United States. Mm. And I think, yeah, when you when you talk about also military and involvements, the United States, I mean, the amount of money that it funds the military and it's used all across the world in many different ways. Uh, and, and then when you talk about this was brought up too, in some of the different nations where we're involved and we offer our services, we might offer equipment, we may build tanks or planes or have contracts for weapons, things like that. Um, a lot of times I think there's like the, the United Nations or some of these other organizations that I guess disproportionately have this, okay, the United States has got it covered. And then you have a Trump administration that comes in and says, well, should it really be like that? Should, should it be disproportionate? If we're going to be offering the bulk of this to some of these nations, we should at least get something in return for it. And then that starts more of a, you know, a question are we putting our best interest or should we put our best interest forward? Things like military. And there's all kinds of different levels where you can ask those questions. If it's, you know, economic, are we doing the best thing? You know, putting ourselves further in debt in order to try to help other countries. Are we, um, you know, putting our health at risk by opening things up, not opening things up? And we have all of these different ways that we want to handle it as a country and every other country is doing it their own way. And then you add on top of that a opportunity where there's a, uh, a governing body that might not want you to do it the way that you want to do it, which makes it hard to accept those sort of things. It's a lot easier to reject that idea when there's a disagreement. So uh, I wonder, too, based on the organizations that are around today, is the greater idea to have a more encompassing organization? And this may sound more conspiratorial or whatever when they talk about a one world government, but is that the... Is that the ultimate goal to get all countries to work together, to have some sort of larger organization to submit to that makes decisions for other countries? I think the idea is to have an organization where we can come together to consult, to deliberate and to make decisions on those issues and on those problems which can only be resolved at the global level. Right. Um, you raise a very important issue, which is the question of what we call burden sharing. You know, in other words, how much of the, let's say, in the case of the United Nations, how much of the, U of the United Nations budget is actually being, being covered by a particular government, in this case, the United States. There, there's kind of a very interesting little uh, historical fact. When the United Nations was created in 1945, the, the, the United States was the main shareholder. It accounted for more than 50% of the UN budget. That number has come down over the next several decades as other members joined in and as other uh, you know, countries became more powerful. Today, the, the United Nations accounts for about 22% of the, of the budget of the United Nations. In other words, 
78% of the rest of the budget is actually covered by other countries, Germany, uh, China, Japan, and everybody, actually. You know, everybody makes a contribution, no, no matter how small. The idea is not so much to create a body or, or, or a global organization that will be telling every other country, you know, what to do, and that will become a, a, a little bit like a big brother. No. The idea is to have a body where, uh, which is based on democratic principles, where the representation in the body is a function of a country's size and contribution, but where essentially we come and we collaborate together and we work together to find solutions to those problems which cannot be solved outside of a framework of international cooperation. It doesn't mean that they will do everything because there are things which can be solved at the local level, in the United States at the state level, at the federal level. There are issues where the United Nations will never, will never enter because it's not necessary. But on a core set of issues like questions of climate change, uh, peace and security, um, possibly management of the global financial system. You know, we have a global financial system which is, which is, uh, which is uh, 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 essentially uh, has already uh, uh, recognized that the global economy is an integrated unity, unit. Um, remember the crisis in 2008 and 2009, what started out as a, a financial crisis in the U.S. banking sector very quickly became a global crisis, you know, with international repercussions. So obviously, finance is one area where we need to talk to other partners. We need to understand what the European Union is doing, what the Chinese are doing. And, and we need to work together to make sure that decisions which are taken uh, in one corner of the world are not going to ad affect adversely the interests of countries elsewhere, like in the United States. And the only way that can be done is by keeping the doors of communication open and by coming together in places like the United Nations, the World Bank, the World Health Organization, the International Monetary Fund, and many others, you know, where these issues are discussed in those particular areas. Mm. Globalgovernanceforum.org. I went to the website. So that's good to put out there again, but you can also find it on Amazon, hard copy of it there. And if people wanted to, again, learn more about what you're doing, is it the best to just go over and look at global governance and, and read it for itself? Or are there other works and articles that you're writing up that talk about these things? You know, the book is, is a, a, you know, a sort of a, a fairly, fairly intimidating <laughs> uh, volume. You know, it, it's got more than 500 pages. And certainly for those who are very interested, you know, you can, you can look at the table of contents and read particular chapters which may be of special interest to you. For instance... Uh, chapter 18 deals with the whole issue of corruption. We mm. think that corruption is undermining the basis of democracy in many parts of the world and that we need to do something about it in a, in a, in a much more proactive way. However, if you go to the website, globalgovernanceforum.org, uh, uh, you will see a great deal of other content. We have blogs. Uh, we just posted a couple of days ago a podcast with a very distinguished American judge, uh, uh, Mark Wolf, who has been leading uh, a, a very interesting initiative for the establishment of an international anti-corruption court um, mm. to deal with the problem of you know, massive corruption, which, which, which uh, uh, saps the, the prosperity of, of, of countries in, in, in Africa and in and many other parts of the world. It is a global problem, right? 
So you will see blogs, you will see articles. In other words, uh, you don't have to tackle a 500-page volume, which is what the book is. Um, there are other sources of content and insight in the website that, that you will be able to look at. And, and, and actually, we're ramping up that process, and more and more um, content will be put there. Yesterday, I had a very interesting conversation, which will be released as a podcast with one of the United Nations Undersecretary Generals, Fabricio Hochschild, who last year had a very interesting assignment in the United Nations. You know, in 2020 was the 75th anniversary of the creation of the United Nations. So the United Nations did a sort of reached out to the global community, to civil society, to the business community, to, you know, other stakeholders to, to essentially ask them, you know, what kind of a United Nations do you want to have, you know, in the future? Uh, uh, where is this body working and where is it failing you? And they got a million responses from all over the world, from all 193 member countries. And, and so yesterday in the podcast, which will be put on the website next week, you know, we had a kind of a very interesting discussion about what were the results of that survey? What is it that people are looking for? Uh, uh, what kind of reforms would they like to have within the UN system so that the organization becomes uh, a fit for purpose, you know, ready mm -hmm. to take on the challenges of the 21st century? Right. Globalgovernanceforum.org, if you wanted to look at those things, not only the uh, work with global governance, but some of the uh, blogs, podcasts, things like that. We'll be right back. We're going to take a look at the weather and Dr. Augusto Lopez-Claros joining us uh, this hour to talk about this topic on Overnight America KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. So you can go to the website, globalgovernanceforum.org, and you can find some of the work on there. The uh, hardcover book is on Amazon, but you can actually find it on globalgovernanceforum.org if you wanted to get the e-reader version of it. In Global Governance and the Emergence of Global Institutions for the 21st Century, one of the uh, co-authors of the book, Dr. Augusto Lopez-Claros. Thank you again for hanging out with us tonight on Overnight America. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, and I was looking at this online, and I see that part of it is a textbook. So is this actually a book that's used in colleges as part of a curriculum? Yes, yes. I, I think we wrote it. You know, it the book is, is basically meant for everybody. Uh, we have written in a way that is accessible, not unduly academic. Uh, but, yeah, for sure, um, the book, I think, is substantive enough that it can easily be used as a textbook in in, in, uh, in co- uh, courses in, in college, you know, on international relations, peace and security, economics, and so on. Um, you know, one person message in, I thought this was kind of interesting because it's it's more of a issue that I think all countries have to some extent and they handle differently is when it comes to immigration. So we have always discussions about how we handle people that approach our border from the south between Mexico and the United States and other countries. Also, we're wondering how do we handle migration from other areas? There's refugees, there's just, uh, you know, travelers, there's all kinds of different things that go into it. And every country kind of has their own way of handling it. Should there be, uh, or I guess in your opinion, do you think there should be a, a universal way of handling it? Or is that something that each country should be handling by their own uh, laws? You know, there is an international organization of migration that is already working in, in Geneva and is, and is trying to sort of be a forum for the coordination of migration policies and, um, you know, dealing with, uh, with uh, refugees and asylum seekers and so on. And uh, uh, so there is, there is already sort of a fair level of sort of international cooperation on these issues. For me, uh, the problem of migration is something that, you know, we have to manage uh, sort of cooperatively. Uh, Most scientists are telling you that uh, this problem is going to persist over the next uh, several decades and that, in fact, it might actually become worse because we're going to have a new kind of uh, of migration, which is going to be uh, linked to change uh, to to climate change. environmental refugees, we might call them in the future, as sea level rises uh, in many islands, which are today are sovereign states, they are members of the United Nations, are going to disappear, and their populations are going to have to go elsewhere. There are countries where the bulk of the population lives on the coast. Bangladesh is a very good example, a very populous country, more than 100 million people there. And uh, it is expected that a lot of the coastline of Bangladesh is going to come underwater. And those people are either going to have to move inward or many of them may choose to go go elsewhere. So this is one area where we're going to have to work together and collaborate so that this is done in an orderly fashion. 
I think the, the reason why migration is very often a concern to people, and this is legitimate, is because very often it's chaotic, it's disorganized. You know, we see people coming across borders legally or illegally, and that makes people uncomfortable. So this is one area where, where international cooperation is absolutely necessary. But more importantly, we need to ask ourselves, you know, where, where are the pressures for migration coming from? Right. Very often it has to do with widening income disparities with uh, essentially uh, countries in Central America or in Africa or in other parts of the world, you know, that have very high levels of poverty, very poor levels of governance, where very often the, the government has been taken over by some some kind of kleptocrat. Uh, who is not interested in, the, in, in you know, promoting prosperity and economic growth and, and stability for, 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 for his citizens, um, but is more interested in using power for personal enrichment. And there is a role there for international law. Um, we should not uh, tolerate situations where uh, kleptocrats essentially are using their country as their private kingdom uh, mismanaging it and then creative incentives for people to want to go abroad and to come to the United States or to go to Germany or Sweden or to Canada or other places because the situation in their home country is so intolerable, right? Hmm. Um, look at uh, Syria. Over the last decade in Syria, more than a, a half a million people have died uh, as a result of the, of the civil war. Uh, and millions of others have basically left their country looking for better opportunities elsewhere. Uh, many of them have been welcomed in Europe, uh, uh, others haven't. Uh, this is a very serious problem, but, but the cause, the root cause of it, is essentially the abuse of authority uh, by the government in Syria, which, was, which has created conditions, uh, terrible conditions for its citizens, many of which have been uh, forced to lead, to leave and, and look for, for refuge elsewhere. That problem needs to be handled at, at, the, at the origin. The origin is bad governments and abuse of authority in, in, in Syria. Um, so, you know, it's a complicated problem, but it does require cooperation. It does require working across borders. It does require, you know, working within, within a system of... of uh, international cooperation to to basically create better conditions at home so that people don't uh, don't uh, don't leave the country you know um, there are countries that are well managed uh, there are countries in the developing world where people are not leaving and and uh, you know overflowing the borders of the united states or canada or germany and those countries tend to be well managed that they tend to have honest governments they tend to be democratic they tend to be uh, governments where the where the government is working in the interests of the population, and I think that the United States can actually play a role in encouraging you know better governance in those parts of the world. Yeah, I wonder too because we, some of the issues that are brought up is that a lot of times they're afraid to confront China in a way, and listed and looked at in, in some ways as a developing economy still, but it's one of the largest economies in the world. And here in the United States, we're always troubled in finding ways to try to bring companies to come back into this area and then renegotiating with Canada and Mexico to try to give the incentive for manufacturers to leave China and come back here. And there's always the issue of, you know, the, the low wages and standards when it comes to workplaces and other countries. It's all intertwined because they're relying on that cheap labor 
labor in order to get their goods and their products and things and companies rely on them in certain ways because it's just easier, the regulatory, whatever it may be. So how can a, a, a larger global governance address things like that? Because so many people in countries are afraid to. Yes. You know, um, one, uh, you, you mentioned the, 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 you know, the free trade agreement between Mexico, the United States and, and Canada, um, which was renegotiated and sort of upgraded and modernized in the last few years. For me, that's a very good example of how nations can work together, you know, to essentially have better coordination of policies, uh, to um, uh, establish uh, labor standards which protect the rights of workers, to make sure that we are being duly respectful of our environment so that uh, nations, you know, don't become competitive by essentially sacrificing the environment at the cost of other, other people. Um, the reason why, by and large, it's not a perfect agreement, but the reason why, by and large, uh, NAFTA, as it used to be called, has worked for everybody is because these three countries, uh, which are each other's most important trade partners, work together to establish a, a kind of a level playing field, which will then encourage uh, international trade. And as you know, after NAFTA was signed in the 1990s, a trade between these three countries basically took off in a, in a, in a, in a major way. And I think it was beneficial you know, to all, all three of them. Um, the European Union already has been doing that you know, for several decades. You know, they have a free trade area uh, among its 27 member countries, and it has encouraged, uh, you know, labor standards. It has encouraged uh, coordination on environmental regulation. And again, a level playing field where nations can engage with each other in a context of peace and security and, and consultation. Right. The idea is to avoid the kinds of hostility and and uh, abuse that led in the in the 20th century to world war 1 to world war 2 and to other other calamities so for me that is the wave of the future i i think that especially when it comes to to international trade you know we need to we need to work together in some kind of multilateral setting uh, the world trade organization is located in geneva it was it was uh, uh, created several de- decades ago, and it is the, the the body that has jurisdiction over the rules of the game when it comes to international trade. Um, it, it has been somewhat weakened in, in, in over the past decade, uh, but I think that there is a growing recognition, including in the United States, that it is to everybody's advantage that we strengthen the organization and that we empower it to basically have a trade regime in the world that is rules-based, that is, that is uh, founded on the idea that we are going to work together, we're going to have a set of rules that apply to everybody, and that establishes a level playing field so that we can trade in a way that is peaceful and that is uh, to everybody's advantage and benefit. We don't want to have a world in which... Uh, uh, the strongest nations, the ones with the biggest military, are the ones who essentially, uh, you know, establish the rules, because that is going to lead to uh, instability. It's going to lead to tension, and ultimately, it will, it will be even 
self-defeating for the very nations that, that establish the rules because you know, others will sabotage the rules and we're just going to move into a very chaotic world in which uh, you know, we will have the principle of the survival of the fittest. And, and that's not a recipe for prosperity. It's certainly not a recipe for peace and security. Hmm. Uh, for me, the, the, the primary contribution of the United States over the last 75 years has actually be, been you know, to build up an international order that was rules-based, that was uh, founded on the principle of consultation and cooperation rather than brute force and war and and abuse, which has been, you know, the history over the last 1,000 years. Mm -hmm. You know, um, just for the sake of time, and I know that um, we were going to go to the end of the hour, but based on a couple of commercials that are coming up, um, I don't know if we're going to have time to do that. So I want to make sure we have at least one more minute. If you have any final thoughts or conclusions, and then again to the website, globalgovernanceforum.org, your main revelation from everything, if you can sum it up in 60 seconds. I think that if I, if I had to sum it up in 60 seconds, I would say the following. I would say that uh, in the 21st century, we are going to be confronting, um, as a human family, not just Americans, but you know, people all over the world, where we, we're going to be confronting a, a whole series of very important global challenges. COVID-19, the pandemic over the last 12 months, it's just a, a sort of a, a warning. It is uh, basically uh, the first stage of something that will come our way over the next decade, uh, much of it linked to climate change. So we basically have two choices. We can um, do nothing. We can uh, hope for the best that somehow climate change and other, some, some, uh, uh, some of these other problems like uh, poverty and inequality are going to go away by themselves in some miraculous way. And I think that that's not a realistic option because they are not going to go away. And the other option is basically to work with other nations together. And here the United States can take a leadership role because it is still the most powerful country in the world. It is still the largest economy in the world with the the largest military. Um, It is a country based on, on democratic, founded on democratic principles that still has a great deal of respect uh, and that people, uh, other nations look up to. And, and, and the United States can then return to its role uh, of the last 75 years as being the primary mover of establishing a rules-based international order that will be a firm foundation for peace and security and for prosperity in the future. Mm, uh, this, I see. Me, yep. That is the only choice that we have open. Dr. Augusto Lopez Claros, and you can go and actually read his work, his thoughts, blog, podcast, but in particular, you can actually see the uh, text of the work he's put together for the global governance at globalgovernanceforum.org. Thank you so much for joining us on Overnight America. I really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you, Ryan. Goodbye. Bye-bye. It was a pleasure to be with you. You too. Very, listen, uh, all the way from Spain to take time with us tonight, which is wonderful. This is Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. I hope I don't get in trouble for going long on that interview, but I, it was a fascinating one, and I wanted to make sure we had at least enough time for him to give his last pitch. So this last segment is uh, very quick. It's, I almost feel like Rush Limbaugh in a way, because at the end of his show, sometimes he comes back and they're already playing that sound effect. Ding, ding, and he only is on for about 20 seconds. 
which is basically what we're doing right now. What a last couple of hours. So I want to open things up for you. If you want to call in, you want to get your comments out there, you're more than welcome to do that at 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120 because uh, it's the last hour of the last show of the week. Let's uh, have some fun. You're listening to Overnight America, KMOX. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 